Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters. I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. My name is Thomas and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you and what are you drinking this morning? Good, dude. I'm just drinking water from my camelback. It's it's 9.39. It's a little too early to be a pirate. That is nonsense. Complete and utter nonsense. Where's well, your beer with like 15 terms and like... Uh, German hops and things like that. That that's in an hour from now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, you can keep making fun of me. I got my Fiji water today. They changed the bottle design, and I don't know if I like it. Is there still a parrot? There's not. Well, there hasn't been a parrot for a long time. They, I wouldn't they buy changed it, it to where like the back, the little back thing. There's no picture on the inside anymore. It's just blue. Uh, and I get that it highlights this little flower on the outside, but I don't know, man. Like. I missed my little tropical paradise inside my water bottle. Where is it? That's disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, guys. Today we are talking to our friend Sylvain. And hopefully I said that correctly. I know I didn't probably didn't say it correctly. Sylvain. (laughs) Sylvain. And we're going to talk about, um, I guess... This financial life. Things of an academic nature. Yes, this is this financial life episode for somebody who... Well, I guess you can tell it. You came to the U.S. as a Ph.D. student and things went from there, right? Yes, that's right. So I got a Ph.D. in France. So, yeah, I have a slight accent. So that's why you I, might notice it. It's not very strong, <laughs> but you might notice it during the uh, the interview. I can't hear so, the accent. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like you're from Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> I like corn. <laughs> hey, so, you got the uh, reference right. Some people think it's like potatoes. <laughs> so uh, I'm 32, so I emigrated in the, in the United States in 2009 after I got my PhD. So I wanted to get more training after my, I got my PhD in biology, and I got a job as a postdoc in basic research. So since then, okay. I'm in the U.S., and now I am a permanent resident working in, uh, for a private company. So you got your PhD in France then? That's right. Okay, so so I feel really dumb right now because I run a college website, but I don't know the difference between a postdoc and a PhD. Um, is that like still, are you still a student technically in that area or are you now like a professor? Uh, you're between a student and a professor. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a full-time worker. I don't have to go to class anymore. Maybe I can give some classes, but I am not skilled enough to be a professor. So in other words, I mean, I'm a high skilled worker that still needs to learn some skills. So Mm -hmm. if I want to become a professor or go to the uh, industry. Gotcha. So is it kind of like when a doctor is in the residency and they're a doctor and they do things, but not like all the things by themselves? Uh, That's right. Uh, yeah, you still have the guidance of the PI, which is uh, principal investigator. And okay. uh, but you're you're there like to learn things. So uh, you will learn some new techniques. You will learn to make more decisions. You maybe you will lead a, a little team with students and uh, grad students. Okay. So it sounds like this is uh, almost like being an apprentice to a full professor just in like a very, very high skilled sciencey area. That's right. Yeah. Well, to be a, a professor, you need to get more experience with postdocs. You need to uh, okay. broaden 
Like I learned some skills during my PhD, but I still need to learn even more skills well to make well be a professor or to have a resume that is sexy for industry. Gotcha. So I guess one question I have is as a postdoc, are you like is lecturing classes an option? Because I know I had I had lecturers in, in college that weren't PhDs, even they just had master's degrees. So No, you you're not you're not required to do that. I mean, okay. your 100% of your time should be in the lab. If you have okay. to lecture, that would be a side job or something like that. Gotcha. I, I've always been curious. Well, one, I want to know, like, do you want to be a, a professor as your profession or do you want to be an industry as your profession? And I'm, I'm feeling you might want to be a professor. And then I want to know why, because I, I don't necessarily get it. Well, no, I don't. Maybe in the beginning, I wanted to be a professor, to be like, uh, I would be completely free in my hours in what I have to do. But I realized that it is a lot of pressure, especially to get the funding. Uh, if you don't get the funding, the lab dies and mm -hmm. well, your salary goes with it. So oh, for wow. me, that's too much risks and uh, pressure. Okay. But then working in private industry, you just get your salary, right? Yes. Okay. That does seem a bit more stable, <laughs> I would guess. <laughs> I yeah, think I've, it is. I've often seen that like as a complaint of of uh, academics where you know there's such a focus on research that you can't put as much time into giving your students individual attention and things like that. So I, I definitely get that hesitation to do it. And also... Well, it depends who pays the salary of the, the professor. I mean, it could be part university, part uh, government. And, uh, well, the, to get the money from the government is getting uh, really hard right now. Okay. So, um, I just did undergrad. And that was expensive <laughs> enough here in the States. And I would imagine that it's not quite as expensive in another country, but... I guess, like, give me a walkthrough of how ridiculously expensive the whole educational process is, because I'm guessing it's undergrad, master's, PhD, then postdoc, like four distinct stages. Okay, so I'm going to give two answers to that question, France and the U.S. France, okay. education is free. Ah, it is, you even pay, up well, to the PhD? Yes. Wow, Well, okay. it does, like, four, you have to pay, like, 450 euros, like, to... Uh, to the uni to the university a year. That's like our commuting that's costs. Like, that's like that's <laughs> <laughs> like so, two textbooks. <laughs> and uh, I was getting paid uh, enough to leave uh, during my PhD. Okay. Okay. Oh, you're getting paid. Yes. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Is because, that because uh, you were doing a lot of work alongside being in class. Uh, well, in France, during my PhD, I didn't have to attend classes. I, I was learning on the on the job. Okay, so it was entirely research and work-based, yes. basically. Gotcha. So how much were you able to make as a PhD student? Uh, that was 1,200 euros. Well, okay. with the cost of life, uh, that's like $1,200. That was more than enough for me to leave. Okay, and I'm guessing, were you, like, were you in a smaller town then, or were you in a big city? I was in a big scientific city. Okay. Okay, and but 1,200 euros. Well, for me, well, I had a very small apartment, but that was more than enough to live. I had a car. I could travel okay. to the U.S. two times. Oh, and wow. And uh, I never, never had to go in debt for that. So 
That's uh, huh. well, twelve hundred euros can be a yeah, that's a okay salary. Interesting, Andrew. Do you think you could live on? Well, twelve hundred euros is probably a little bit more than twelve hundred dollars. It, but... It's actually getting pretty close to twelve hundred dollars yeah. now. It's, it's oh, almost it? exactly. Yeah, twelve hundred dollars. What is it? Uh, the dollar oh, has yeah. been climbing. One dollar is is ninety is point uh, nine one euros right now. So, do you think you could live on twelve or thirteen hundred bucks a month where you are? I I don't know. I mean, if <laughs> if education's free in France, is food also free? Like beer and wine <laughs> is much cheaper. <laughs> I, I might be, I might be a wino then. <laughs> there <France>. you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now in the US, so uh, in the US, so from what I could see, yes, you have to pay for your undergrad. That might be very expensive. Mm-hmm. But once you start your graduate work, uh, university, uh, I think that university can ask you to do some TAing, teacher assistant. Okay, which is gonna. Uh, Pay for at least some of your schol- uh, scholarship uh, for the scholarship, mm-hmm. and gives you some money in the pocket. And okay. in the US, the PhD process takes five years, so that's the master plus the PhD. So I met all the people that I met that w- uh, that were doing a PhD were getting paid and got could live on that. Mm. In the US, in the US, okay. in science in the biology labs where gotcha. I was. So I don't know if it's something uh, that can apply to everybody. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super well informed on the debt situation or I guess funding situation for graduate students as a whole. But I, I know I saw some chart recently where medical students definitely had to take more debt on yes. after undergrad. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not sure how it works out for the graduate education experience as a whole. But that's cool that for you, it's uh, it was funded even in the U.S. So as a postdoc, are you still being able to be paid for your, your work and research? Yes. So the salary goes a little bit higher. So um, I was being paid uh, $3,000 a month. So that's uh, take-home pay. Okay. Well, which is well, pretty comfortable. Yeah. So yeah, it's not we bad have at all. A, a good health insurance. Uh, we have some other benefits. So nothing to complain about. To put it in perspective, is it $3,000 in New York City or is it $3,000 in Iowa? Like, wh- where are you roughly? Oh, yeah. So, when I arrived in the US, I was in Worcester, Massachusetts. That was 3000 there, which that was a lot of money. Mm. And then I moved to uh, Berkeley, California. And well, you were a poor that, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it depends on the location, but mm-hmm. yeah, Berkeley much much more fun than uh, Worcester. I gotta say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, fun costs money in the US. Yes, <laughs> it does. That's right around San Francisco, right? Yes, it is just just across the bay. So Dang. that's a huge uh, 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 huge campus. Yeah, so, uh, housing is crazy expensive. I bet. Dude, I heard um, recently that the cost of living in San Francisco is higher than New York. And That's I've heard that the, people are moving from San Francisco to yeah. New York to save money. I believe it because all those Facebook millionaires and stuff are buying a property. I hear it's very <laughs> expensive just to rent a place. Yeah. I know uh, my wife and I were, were looking for a home to buy that's at least half a million for something like really small. Holy oh, wow. crap. Now, are you still in Berkeley? 
uh, I move like a mile away. Oh no, at Berkeley, that's uh, close to the million. I moved uh, a mile north from Berkeley because uh, we couldn't like afford the rent anymore in Berkeley. Okay. I mean, we can afford it, but we want to spend put our money in uh, some something else. Yeah, and so since you're a mile north of it, can you just take the like it's the Bart, right? Yeah, that's that? the Bart. Uh, yes, I used to do that when I was working in Berkeley. Yes. Oh, yeah, but you're not I, there anymore. Uh, I, no, no, I'm working in uh, industry, so I'm working uh, North Bay. So I have to commute 45 minutes each okay. way every day. Is it is it pretty heavy traffic? No, that's okay. That's gotcha. okay. Okay, so here's um, a question: You have the three thousand dollars per month as the postdoc salary. Is that basically just like fixed until you? graduate and get your postdoc degree or is there any like room to increase your income while you're doing this um all right so first i would like to make a slight correction you don't get a postdoc degree the only piece of paper saying that you have a post that you did a postdoc is publications so stuff that you publish in science or nature or any other journal okay uh so for us uh, what the salary was calculated according to the nih guidelines so that's Mm -hmm. according to experience so a postdoc with one year experience will earn less than a postdoc with five years experience but that doesn't make like a huge difference so since there's no postdoc degree or anything, is there, at what point are you considered a professor or considered like done with postdoc? Is there some, when like, you body? apply for your professor, when you, when you have your own lab, apply for your own money and, uh, well, have your own people. Okay. So basically it's just like at some point, uh, some level during your career, you'll have enough respect or, or work behind you that people will take you seriously enough to, to give you those things. And then yes. once you're there, you can just say, I'm a professor or I'm a professional researcher, that kind of thing. Uh, yes. Well, okay. yes, that's right. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't actually know that. Interesting. Well, sometimes you have to apply for that and then you got the tenure, tenure track. Okay. So universities will open for a position. So you will be a professor, but you will still have to prove yourself. So that means like, publishing even more papers and yeah. at some point you will be like a, a, f- a professor that is recognized by university and you cannot be fired interesting so i've heard a lot about tenure in the past where it's basically like once you get it you are there forever and like you can do whatever you want is that really how it is or has it changed over the years or anything like that uh well okay maybe they cannot fire you but they can put you in a closet so okay. they can move your lab, they can uh, they can take all your students so that when no research is done, they can remove okay. like uh, classes that you lecture that you give. So teach well or you're gonna be teaching in a closet <laughs> <laughs> for like one person. So I'm curious though, why did you come to the US? I mean, obviously everyone wants to come to the US because it's the U.S., whatever, but your education was free in France. It sounded like you did pretty well over there as well. Um, you know, why, why come here? Okay, so in France, uh, well, the job uh, situation is not as good as the one in the U.S., so I didn't want to, like, at the end of my PhD, getting unemployed because I didn't have anything lined up. Mm. 
And I found something, a postdoc in the United States before I ended my PhD. So the whole thing got approved. So I got, I remember I got my PhD October 28th, 2009. And on the 31st, I was in the plane to go oh, to wow. the US. Interesting. Okay. And so what, what are all the, I guess, what's the process that you had to go through to get all this done? Like uh, well, Okay, so you need to apply for a job. Okay. Uh, you need to get the job, and then the university will make some papers uh, for you to get a visa. So for okay. a scientist that has a PhD and come to the U.S. Uh, to work in university to do some uh, basic research... That's really easy to get some papers. So that's called the J-1 visa. So that's a visa that you can renew for up to five years. And uh, that's extremely cheap for the, uh, for the university. Okay. So that was a really good thing. Well, the U.S. wants people like us that had been trained in foreign country to apply their knowledge in the U.S. for, well, for the sake of uh, uh, U.S. science. Okay. And did it cost you anything to get this process done? Or was it all taken care of by the university? Uh, well, I had to pay for my moving expenses. Okay. And the one, uh, well, that was like maybe a few hundred dollars that I had to pay. Well, I had to go to Paris to the American embassy, so uh, it had to be approved. Um, but except that now that's really cheap the US really make it easy for a PhD uh, scientist to uh, to come here speaking of cool. expenses how much is your kind of expense set up now that you're like a, an hour or so away from the valley like how much you want up spending on living food stuff like that okay so my right now, <clears throat> okay, so my wife and I have a salary of uh, 7,000 a month, and uh, we are spending between four and 5,000. Okay, so, so 7,000 is combined, basically? Um, okay, so... After taxes, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, uh, so my wife gets her own paycheck i got my own uh we pay the common the bills together we have a common credit card okay and uh and we have uh, shared goals so the first goal was to have each ten thousand dollars in emergency fund and now that's to put money the all the extra money that we have for a down payment for a house interesting okay so are you guys completely um sharing your finances besides the emergency funds or do you have like a one common fund for certain things and your own separate accounts too? Uh, we have our, some separate accounts and mm -hmm. uh, common credit card. Oh, common credit card. Okay. And at the end of the month, uh, like my wife usually pays for the, for the rent. So at the end of the month, uh, we have a meeting and we put on a piece of paper who paid what? So I pay the phone. She pays the the rent, and uh, we even and uh, we distribute the money, some money to uh, to each other. Okay, so you just huh. basically just hash it out once a month and make yes. sure everything's fair. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. So do you, do you make more than your wife? I do. 
do you then pay like a higher percentage of the expenses? Like, how do you kind of reconcile that? Okay, so we discussed a lot about it. So uh, since both of us make more than what we spend, uh, we don't do that. So we discussed like uh, for a long time about it. And she's totally okay knowing that all the extra money that I'm making goes toward the house. So it's not like money that I'm spending for myself. So now that you have the, the 10,000 each in the emergency funds, are you guys investing any of the income you make or is it all going towards the house right now? Um, we will invest the money that will go toward the house. So, oh, yeah, so, okay, because, so you're interesting. Yeah, we, um, I wanted to put, to put that in a S&P 500 uh, ETF. So that's, I think that's going to take us five years to get the uh, $100,000 uh, down payment. Okay. So that would be a good way well, to do it and uh, to learn um, how investment works. So is your goal to get a house that is uh, like 500000 I guess like that would be 20%? Or are you hoping to make like a huge down payment and pay off a lot of the balance first on a smaller uh, house? Uh, I would like to get a $500,000 house. Okay, which and I is guess I have no idea what that is. Bay, out there. Yeah, in the Bay Area, <laughs> that's not great. I mean, it's just that the price is uh, crazy high. Yeah, yeah how many square just... feet is that? In, in New York, I, I pay or Hoboken, very close. It was three hundred twenty thousand dollars for seven hundred square feet, but I own oh the seven hundred square feet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the only question uh, answer that I can give you, we rent our place so 700 square feet for 1500 amounts oh, okay that's that's so, right in okay. line with my mortgage yes the house so that, that we're moving about- into 1800 square feet and they're renting it for 2200 but i think it it was bought for like 280 i want to say but yeah. it's just i don't know it's 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 crazy like the difference between living in Iowa. <laughs> Thomas, each time that you speak about, talk about your living expenses, I almost want to move to uh, Iowa. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you should do it. It's not as boring as people think it is. It's, it's, it's slightly less boring than that. But, but we then you go out. winter here. That's true. Yeah. Mm. And that, for that, I'm very jealous. We uh, unfortunately have a brutal winter. And yeah, brutal you rent do. costs. Yeah, <laughs> gets me stuck in Chicago. But but when I walk out my door, I look left and I see uh, bars, and I look right and I see restaurants, and then uh, it's all good. Okay, yeah. When we move in, I'm gonna walk out my door. I'm gonna look right. I'm gonna see a field, and I'm gonna look left. I'm gonna see a dirt pile where a new house is gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, I will see a nice suburban neighborhood. It's gonna be so weird because there's gonna be like all these families. And then us. They're like, just like, <laughs> why did this fraternity move in next door? This is not, a, it's not legal. <laughs> I'm waiting for the day, uh, like when we move in and the neighbors come over to introduce themselves and they're like, so how many kids do you have? <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> well about that. <laughs> so, um, you moved from, from France to the U S and, you said like the, the education expenses are obviously very, very different. Um, what other differences have you noticed like money-wise, I guess? Well, in the U.S., well, you really, well, 
a lot of things were really strange for me. The fact that you have to put some money on the side right now for retirement in the US. In France, you pay taxes for that and the government take, takes care of it. Really? Yes. But you get taxed much higher, though. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Well, we have. Well, that's why. Well, you. Well, yeah. We the tax. Yeah, that's a lot. How much are the taxes in France? I guess I don't really know. I don't know. I mean, that's really high. That taxes that you pay, taxes that your employer pay. Okay. Uh, It's. I. It's really high. Because yeah, I'm just. I would I argue think that the minimum wage in France with all the taxes is like $15 an hour. It's the oh, equivalent okay. of $15 an hour, but the worker only gets seven or eight. Oh, wow. But, but a France. lot is, cut, is paid for, you know. It's, it's yes, education, healthcare, retirement. Hmm. Wow. Um, so all the, the rest US, of your money goes towards like food and booze, basically? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's pretty I'm like much looking it. at the individual taxes here. Let's see your France. Uh between zero and forty five percent. Well that doesn't seem too bad actually. I, uh, like, as a business owner, I have to pay forty percent taxes. So which maybe maybe it's because I'm bad at, at setting up my my business <laughs> to save. I don't know. But that doesn't seem too bad if, I, if my retirement would be taken. Taxes on the salary that you pay uh, that you pay to somebody that works for you. Oh wait. I guess in France if I if I work if I'm a business owner in France and I hire somebody, a French person, mm-hmm. I will have to pay taxes on that. So well, we, so we also have to do that though. Yeah. So what happens is in the US, if you have an employee, um, you actually, they pay half of the taxes and you pay half of the taxes. Okay. So yeah. like you'll, you'll split, I mean, not all of them, like you'll split like social security, you'll split Medicare and like one or two other ones. The FICA, okay. right? Is so, that what it's called? Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, Th- but thankfully yeah, Johnny knows, and I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we leave that to Johnny. But yeah, that's why it's like such a tough thing to hire employees because, like, you're just on the hook for so much when you do, as opposed yep, to having true. a contractor. Yes. So taxes so, are different. Education are different. Uh, yes. the The thing that was brand new for me was the credit card. I didn't for understand how it was working. Okay. And I didn't want in the beginning because I was scared of the thing. I mean, I got like, can get $5,000 <laughs> and whoa, and then whoa. <laughs> so, yeah, so it took me a while to get the first credit card. Okay. Uh, well, I took one for the only reason that I needed, well, I wanted to get a, a credit score. Okay. So I was... Uh, in the beginning, I was extremely careful about how I uh, I was using it, mm. and then yeah, I understood the system, so it's going better and better. But my uh, my rule of thumb about credit cards is uh, if I cannot pay for something cash right now, I don't put it on the credit card. Mm. That is a good rule so of thumb. I find that very interesting. And and I want to know maybe more or why where you're coming from France, and I mean it's not like you're 
you know, 20, you know, you're, you're 32. So you have, you know, experience, you've been earning for a while and you come here and you're blown away by like credit cards and these high limits because in the US, people who are 21, 22, they get this credit cards at 3000 limit. They're like, woohoo. And they go and they buy $3,000 worth of stuff. So are there like, do people not really have credit cards in France or not really use them? We don't have credit card. So really? if, we, if I want to get a credit, I go to the bank or, yeah, and I for a credit. Hmm. Now, is that, when I think of going to the bank and asking for credit, it, it conjures like these long, drawn out meetings in my head and like the possibility of getting turned down. Is it easier to get consumer credit in France then? Uh, I never ask for one, so I don't okay. know. Uh, I think that's good to maybe France decided not to get credit card to protect the consumer. Yeah. So that so way, just, there's not really a culture of credit cards and consumer debt. No. There. no. Interesting. I think we could take a lesson from that. <laughs> I know. Right? So I'm curious then because you uh, you came from France here to work. How were you able to secure an apartment? Because here they do, at least in New York, they do credit checks on everyone. And if you don't have like decent credit, they're just going to turn you down and pick someone else. So when I arrived in Massachusetts, the university took care of that for me. So the university was uh, owning some uh, apartment and they gave one to me. Okay. Otherwise, uh, well, when you arrive in a place where the university doesn't uh, provide apartments, well, you just do like everybody else, but you have on your side the fact that you're working for a prestigious university and you have a PhD. So it is usually worth all the credit check in the world. Okay, hmm. cool. So I guess uh, I have you know, one last question with this, uh, the postdoc and the job you're doing right now is where you're, is the job you're at now where you like plan on staying or is there some sort of path that you're hoping to get to once the postdoc is, I guess, considered um, done? Okay, the postdoc was done in January. So I just, oh. I just found the new job. Oh, okay, so you're industry. totally done with the postdoc. Yes, I'm period. totally done. Okay, I guess yes. I was confused about that. Cool. So, um, yeah, uh, it's in January. I'm working in industry. And I actually have one last question as well. So in France, they cover your retirement. Um, I'm not sure how good of or, or awesome, maybe, maybe it's great of a retirement that they provide you. But here, you're not necessarily provided a retirement, but you know you save for yourself, maybe a little less taxes. Like, How do you kind of feel about both systems? I think that both systems have good things and bad things. Mm. Um, it is like... A, choice, a society choice. I mean, uh, like, if we take uh, healthcare in France, well, that's government run, and we know that uh, socialist medicine works. So it is just like uh, what, at some point, a society decided to do. Retirement, okay, maybe you will earn a little bit less in France, but if you had a good salary during your whole life, you will have a good retirement. Okay. Now, if I have no retirement in the U.S. and I'm like 45, can I just move to France and just like kind of live it up? 
retire for free. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to work. You need to earn that. I mean, something in the US for me to get social security, I need to work for uh, at least 10 years. Mm. Okay. Is it the same in the France then? There's like a, a period of residency and work that you have to finish? Uh, there is, yeah, there is a period of uh, residency and then, well, you... Uh, you put a certain amount of money in the system, and when you retire, you get that money back. Okay, so it sounds like Social Security, except for you guys are less afraid that it's going to go away before you're <laughs> ready to collect Oh, it. we are really afraid. Oh, really? Okay, same thing? Yes, yes. See, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I, I'm basically convinced that I need to fund my entire retirement. Like, I'm not at oh, all Oh, I'm concerned that Social Security that. <laughs> won't be there when we retire, and, and I feel like if I do my own thing, I won't even be fully vested into it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, on so. my side, I, uh, I don't count on it. I'm planning to retire in the U.S. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't count on it. I mean, that's going to be my own, uh, my own 401k that yeah. will take care of my retirement. Mm. Cool. You got any last questions before we wrap this up, Andrew? No, I think that was pretty awesome. Awesome. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. And lightning. All right, guys, if you have questions about money or anything else, you can email us over at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved is where you'll find all of our opportunities to get involved with the show, subscribing, rating and reviewing on iTunes, sending Andrew beer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Please. And today's, uh, Andrew, you picked a long review for me to read. I, I did. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty good one, though. It is a good one, yeah. So this one is uh, from VA Phoenix. And he or she says, I first listened to it based on the reviews and I was initially taken aback and thought that this was a show for bros. Why are they drinking beer in the morning and then talking about it? Why are they just talking about nothing? And then they drop the knowledge. Their openers make the topic accessible to any person who just needs to get serious about their finances. Andrew and Thomas are intelligent and funny guys that leverage those traits to make learning about personal finance manageable and fun. While they seem to be defensively competitive about Dave Ramsey, I don't think I am. I think we've toned that down a little bit. We, we did. We did. <laughs> they do offer critiques that persuaded me to do the stack method over the snowball method. If you're not a religious person, this is a great alternative. And even if you are, this podcast is effective. They talk to experts in the field and offer websites and apps to grow your wealth. I've learned so much from this podcast and gained the motivation to get rid of my money problems. Recommend it to your friends and families. Thank you so much. I'm out of breath. and hey if you want to leave us a review it's always appreciated we love getting the feedback and it does help us with the growth of the show so also listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where you'll find book recommendations and tools and apps that you can use to grow your money also also uh, a few things because uh, I feel like I've like built up this like I need to say all these things and (laughs) um, one you may have noticed maybe not you guys because it's coming in post but uh, Listen Money Matters sponsored this episode we we don't have any episodes sponsored but we sponsored (laughs) this one because we need your help to keep this show going Um, go to listenmoneymatters.com slash support we made a cool video Um, we're we're appealing to your kinder side we're we're basically like public radio in that we we survive off of your kindness can we call them wonderful nerds then like Roman Mars does there you go wonderful nerds wonderful nerds please go to listenmoneymatters.com supporting nerds (laughs) (laughs) alright well thanks again for hanging out with us we look forward to seeing you in the next episode see you guys later Thank you.
please tell your friends about this show. <laughs> Thank you.